Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Friday podcast. Woo woo! So we're going to talk a little bit about air travel and drinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I will say I tried the hack on the plane where you're supposed to shake up a bottle of wine and then pour it into your glass because it's supposed to aggressively aerate it oh. in order to allow mm-hmm. you to... So basically, when you fly, mm-hmm. right, your palate changes. Mm-hmm. And so I'd heard about this hack where like you... You dump out a little wine from the tiny wine bottle they give you, and then you like aggressively shake it for like oh thirty seconds, and then you pour it into the glass. And it's supposed to aerate it so much that it opens the wine up and causes it to taste better. Um, Interesting. Doesn't work. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of having a, a drink or two when you fly, even though they say yes. you will be more likely to like have jet lag. Mm-hmm. If you drink when you fly, I don't care. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I really, I'm not a big fan of drinking while I fly. You're not for that reason. I, I feel like shit after. You really, I, you don't drink while you fly. No, not really. Not if I can help it, unless it's like <laughs> complimentary or something, or like you know, it's I'm or in a it's time so if, appropriate. If you're, if you're up front, right. you'll drink, right? Or 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 if like the in flight service has free free beer and wine or something yeah, like that. Like, yeah. You're not going to like buy it. I'm not going to buy oh, it. Oh, I don't either. Okay. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> so? I usually, I'll buy but it. I don't Absolutely. think I'll buy a beer. I, yeah. Drinking on, drinking on planes is like, if you set aside the cost of being on the plane in the first place, it's actually way cheaper than drinking anywhere else. Uh, but, but is, is it, it as good? good? <laughs> you can get, uh, you can get a cocktail for, you know, seven bucks. That's better yeah, than you're going to do most other places. Yeah. But the cocktail you get is like, Basically, like crappy tonic and some gin. Here's mm-hmm. here's two here's two bottles of gin. I don't know, man. Can you get a Bombay Everybody Sapphire and tonic in New York City for seven dollars? I sure true. can't. That's actually true. Mm-hmm. That's true. You get a double Bombay Sapphire and tonic. <laughs> yeah. Can't you? Can't you bring you on? You to go. Can't you bring on your own little nips? Not allowed. Oh, really? Totally illegal. Oh, I didn't. Know that. Against FAA regulations. Maybe you could bring on your own tonic water, though. That might be a hack. Yeah, yeah but, but like, who's doing that? <laughs> Also, is that under the three ounce my regulation? Fe- my fever tree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. Fever tree. <laughs> but, you know, it is funny because that is the thing I think a lot of people think they can bring on, but you actually can't. Oh. Like, you, you, the liquid can come through. Like, it's, you're not going to get stopped at security, but if you are caught with it oh, okay. on the plane, it is an FAA violation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a whole game to be like, you got to buy the drinks. Right, right. Yeah. So I want to so I want to say a thing about this, right? Which is that like I feel very sad about a few things about the time in life or the the time in history that I'm alive. And one of them is that, you know, since I don't have the kind of money to fly first class on some of the crazy airlines internationally or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the notion my dad once flew uh first class or business class to Africa for work in the eighties and there was a goddamn bar on the airplane. Yeah. That's and right. I, like, bar on the, airplane. the notion, right. the notion of being able to walk up to a bar 3,500 or 35,000 feet in the air and be like, yeah, I'll have a Manhattan or whatever. Right. Just like that. I, the, the plane can crash cool. and I might die happy. Like that like would the, be so the continental, wild. but now that they do pub. exist, the bars still do exist, but mostly on like Emirates and mm-hmm. Etihad yeah. and, and those you can also take showers on those, which I think is a little weird. I don't think I'd take a shower on the plane. Those are long yes. flights. <laughs> <laughs> you might take, you know, get up for your little nap. Right. The pajamas they give you. you. Gotta be business ready. Take, take, like, <laughs> when you when you deplane. But like yeah, just that whole notion or like Wait, I just you know, want to say I, one other my, thing. 
Yeah, please. So, like, I'm just I'm, I can't get over the fact that Joanna doesn't drink when she flies, especially because she's married to a diplomat. And I feel like diplomats <laughs> travel and drink. Like that's just like what they do. Uh, I'm like, sure he would. Not, not, I'm nothing. <laughs> Do they have yeah, like, white claw that, on the planes? Yeah, like live right. that diplomat lifestyle. Also, how do they know? not have white claw on the planes? Now that I think about this, like that's crazy. Do any airplanes have airlines have white claw? I know someone has truly. I forget which airline oh. has truly. Wow. But someone again, I just flew one. Alaska and they do not have. They did not have hard seltzer. Which now that I think about it, I mean, I didn't notice because I wouldn't have ordered it. But like that seems like a huge miss. Mm-hmm. Someone, I, some airline made a huge announcement recently. Maybe it was South, Southwest. Someone that they were. Oh, they need on something, truly. right? Yeah, they need something. They're, they yeah. are. Southwest have flights anymore? <laughs> right. They're they're not doing well. No, <laughs> they're not doing. Well. So when you, I know Adam, you fly Delta a lot. Does Delta have hard seltzer? Uh, yes, they do actually. Oh. I don't remember okay. which one, but they do. Hmm. But they're also, you know, they're Atlanta's hometown airline, mm-hmm. and uh, so they're really big on all the Sweetwater beers, mm-hmm. and they're big on a, a certain really delicious uh, canned cocktail. We'll talk about later in the show mm-hmm. uh, when we taste it. But um, but yeah, they. I like the, Atlanta, the the service. The only thing that's you know like the saddest thing to me though about flying internationally is when you get on the plane and you walk by the lay flat seats <laughs> and you see the cart with the amazing bottles of wine on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're like, well, that would be fun. <laughs> my my wife flew business class to India for work uh, a couple Ooh, of years ago pre pandemic. And she sent me like, you know, mid flight, she sent me the like wine list and she's like, I can have whatever I want. I was like, this fucking sucks. I mean, (laughs) granted, I don't know that like, she's like, I'm just going to drink the champagne. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's a good call. Sure. But like, it is wild. The, the things that you see on these airlines, especially at international in the, you know, absolute like premium classes, like how, like they've got like a seller on board, which seems wild, but like, sure, why really? not? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and most of these airlines have you know full time sommeliers who are yeah. choosing the wines <laughs> for for the for the flights, and then also for the clubs usually, mm. but but the yes. flights for right, sure. Right, right. Um, and a lot of that, who was it? There was the som I interviewed for. It's is it now? It it is United, but I think it was at the time when I interviewed him. Still Continental. Mm. But now Continental was bought by United, correct, Keith? Because yeah, you're, you're a Newark guy, yeah, and that's they fly out of yeah, the hub. <laughs> and he was talking about how when he would when he would taste, they would mm. literally fly up and, oh, taste, yeah. and taste in the air wow. to select the wines yeah, because your palate changes mm-hmm. so much, which yeah. I thought was really really interesting. So yeah, so you're not supposed to like you won't find on a lot of flights like a lot of Pinots and sorry no no Bojo. You you won't find a lot of them. <laughs> Because of they're they're too light in light body, body. Mm-hmm. and there's too much nuance that you'll miss. You won't you won't find like Barolos and things. You're gonna find like cabs, Malbecs, mm-hmm. like Zinfandels. Yeah. Really gonna beat you over the head. Yeah, because your palate just can't pick up all those flavors, and they don't need a lot of people being like, "I just taste acid." Mm-hmm. You know, you know, so. it's interesting th- that you mentioned to the lounges and stuff because I think that's a fascinating piece of this. When I when I interviewed uh, Sheeta Drysdale from uh, Virgin Atlantic, she yeah. was talking a lot about how a thing I didn't totally realize, but you probably are all know all about this, Adam. Like for for the beverage people at an airline, those lounges are actually like a much bigger part of the business oh, than, totally. than in flight hmm. because in flight you are, I mean. A, you're more limited. Obviously, like weight is a huge consideration. Granted, maybe on some of these international flights, you're flying around with, uh, you know, full bottles of wine. But, you know, in a lot of these other things, they're trying to minimize uh, the weight of everything they're bringing on board. And also you have this issue of a lot of things, you know, you don't want to pay to fly them from one place to another. You want them to be consumed on board. So you're trying to exactly dial in how much product you're loading in in the first place. Yeah. But the lounges are this huge, you know, people sometimes spend, you know, 
half a day there or more, depending on their layovers and, and all that. And and they are such a big part of the sort of hospitality element of airlines these days. And it was just interesting to hear her talk about how, you know, how much of her job is about setting things up totally. at these lounges. It's so interesting. So question for you guys before we get to Joanna's interview uh, with the founders of Tip Top. When you do drink mm-hmm. on the plane, what is your go-to drink? Zach, we'll start with you. I would say a drink that I almost never have anywhere else, which is like whiskey and ginger ale. Mm-hmm. Um, I like ginger ale on flights because I, I think it was like when I was a kid, it was like I, I always wanted soda and my parents would usually not let me, but they would somehow let me get ginger ale because it was not soda, even though obviously it is. Yeah. Um, so I've always had a sort of associated that with flying. Sometimes I'll have a gin and tonic, but I would say most of the time it's a, like a whiskey ginger, which again, not a drink that I would go for very often other times, but, but on an airplane, it seems right to me. Nice. Joanna. Um, well, b- mostly because I'm I'm having whatever's free to me and not purchasing something. It's a beer or or some shitty wine. Um, <laughs> but actually, um, there's this airline called Porter, which is like a local Canadian airline. I always wanted to fly it. I heard oh, it's dope. It's the best, and they have they have like in flight um, beer and wine is is um, part of their in flight service, and they always do like a local like brewery um so so they've had like um ace hill beer or steam whistle beer which i've talked about before so that's what i usually get very cool Mm -hmm. what about you so i either will get like so if it's an international flight and it's it is free action international flights even and maybe in coach i don't know if in coach yeah i know it is yeah spirits i think are spirits are free i will get usually like I'm like looking to try to get to sleep Mm -hmm. so i'll usually have like a double whiskey Mm -hmm. Neat. <laughs> and then, uh, or I like a gin tonic every once in a while, but honestly, my go-to is always just like a beer. Like Not, if I'm in the seat where you will serve me, mm-hmm. I will have a beer. Yeah. Um, you won't go for like a, a red snapper? No, I will not. <laughs> I, I Look, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I just want to say, look, last week I talked about uh, Bloody Marys, and I asked Joanna if she was going to have her Bloody Mary with gin or vodka. And she said, wait, gin? And I said, yeah, you should be able to. You all listen to the episode. Right. Anyways, I received a correction from um, our resident cocktail college host, Tim McCurdy, <laughs> who let me know that actually that is not a, a you know, it's Proper not. Bloody Mary. You know, it's a red snapper. So I stand corrected, mm-hmm. Tim. Fantastic. <laughs> Oh, Tim making a guest appearance oh, on every podcast just, from here on out. Yes. One last thing. The reason I don't usually go for beer is I don't have to get up to pee any more than necessary. True. Yeah, I hate that. I hate I hate the whole going to the bathroom. Anyways, let's go straight into Tip Top so that we can drink some Tip Top. Today on the podcast, I am joined by the team behind Tip Top Proper Cocktails, Neil Cohen, co-founder, Miles McQuarrie, recipe developer, Jay Liddell, chief operating officer. We are huge fans of Tip Top Proper Cocktails, so I'm thrilled to be chatting with you all. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. So I thought we could, you know, hear a little bit more about Tip Top, how it started, where you're at now, the success and challenges over the past, you know, 18 months or so and where it's going. So Neil is co-founder. I thought we could kick things off with how the brand started. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joanna. Um, and 
Yeah, I uh, founded this with Yoni Reisman, um, who is uh, our, our CEO, and um, we are childhood friends. We met in elementary school, and our core passion was attending concerts and music festivals, <laughs> and that was really uh, what drove us for the better part of our middle school, high school, college careers, and uh, and then actually helped us define our uh, initial careers uh, as we, you know, ventured into the workplace. So mm-hmm. um, we traveled parallel paths in the music festival industry. Yoni founded the premier festival in New York City, Governor's Ball, mm-hmm. um, and I went and worked for uh, Superfly, which is the production company behind Bonnaroo and Outside Lands and many of the country's biggest festivals. And I cut my teeth uh, in marketing and branding via those festivals. Um, And Yoni um, had a real eye on the concessions programs at Governor's Ball and uh, Hmm. recognized that as people's taste uh, for cocktails were developing, uh, very much so in New York City, his market, Hmm. but also all around the country, um, you were more accustomed to finding great cocktails wherever you could go, yet there were still occasions where that was a challenge and, mm-hmm. um, a, and a real opportunity as well to solve that problem. So that's where the spark started for Yoni, um, that he really wanted to solve the problem of uh, accessing a great cocktail in those high volume music festival type environments. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, we really set on the mission of uh, ensuring that the good things in life are more accessible. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of uh, how we got on this path. What's the time period here? When was this? So Yoni began uh, developing the concept probably, I'd say, around 2016. Started mm-hmm. getting in my ear because we were always scheming about how we could have these parallel paths converge and and work on uh, some uh, entrepreneurial efforts together. Um, mm-hmm. I joined up 2018 and uh, really, um, you know, canned cocktails were not exactly in my purview as a music festival um, marketer, but mm-hmm. uh, I did have a knack for the culinary um, and had been a cheesemonger and had sold mm-hmm. some wine uh, in, in kind of prior life. And um, Yoni said that he had contacted Miles McQuarrie at the Kimball House and Mm -hmm. um, that Miles was interested in being involved. And that's when I realized that my friend Yoni wasn't just scheming another big idea, but he was actually going to execute something very special here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I left the music industry. We joined up and from really 2018, probably spring 2018 is where we were kind of off to the races. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was about, it was about two years of development of the product before we okay. actually launched it. Um, it got into market the end of September 2019 was right. when we first ended up on shelves in Georgia. Right. And what a time to kind of get in on this, right? Because you mentioned that you, you didn't really have a lot of canned cocktail experience when you joined the team, but canned cocktails back then really weren't a big thing, right? That's that's correct. Yeah. So I, I think it's just, um, you know, obviously, we've seen a lot of these canned cocktails and RTDs and things like that over the past 18 months, especially, but you kind of got in just ahead of the pandemic and, the, and then the absolute explosion of canned cocktails. 
And we saw some of that coming. And I mean, I, I can let kind of Miles speak to some of this as well. But um, as we were looking at what the offering out there was beginning to kind of develop into, mm-hmm. it really became apparent that the baseline of offering great classic cocktails, the cocktails that have always been in demand, um, really making them available on demand to the public just hadn't been actualized. And so mm-hmm. it was important to us to really start with that foundation, fulfill mm-hmm. the promise of this category and be able to service the cocktails that are known and loved and maybe using that as a launch pad to then start to branch out. Right. So, so Yoni reached out to Miles. Miles, you d- worked on developing these drinks. What was that process like? And, um, and then how did you choose which, which drinks to launch first? Um, well, it was definitely a long process. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's not quite as easy as just sending a recipe off and hoping that it can get scaled up correctly. And so, so we, you know, we're talking for a long time of what, which drinks to do. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and really there was like some quintessential, um, beverages that were, um, are considered, you know, in the stirred category of drinks, which really nobody mm-hmm. was doing in the, um, RTD market. Like you were starting to see while we were in recipe development, you were starting to see, you know, a good bit of like Moscow mules and gin and tonics mm-hmm. and that, and that sort of stuff, um, come out to where, uh, you know, kind of like highball refreshing cart right. uh, style of drinks. Um, and I think that we'd even start, we maybe would start to see a couple like, you know, margaritas and things like that, but you didn't see old fashions. You didn't see Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You certainly didn't see Negronis um, in a can. Yeah. So what was that development process like? How many iterations did you go through before you decided that it was the liquid you wanted to put in the can? Oh my gosh. I lost count. I, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. <laughs> on the um, the last day before we put the final stamp um, on the Negroni, you talk about drinking uh, f- 50 wines today. We did. Uh-huh. We, we tasted 37 different slight tweaks just on the Negroni in one session before we decided it was finished um so there there have been many many different iterations over the course of of years um until we finally got them to where uh we all felt happy about putting the tip top label on the cans and getting them getting them out there that that seems like a really intense process what what in terms of like sourcing how how was that experience like what i know that for the negroni you have red bitters um, on the can, but what, you know, is it just, um, are you going to a certain producer or what is that like? Um, well, we've, it's been switched a couple of times, but you know, uh, it's, it's obviously not, um, Campari in the Negroni. And so it's a blend of distillates, um, and essentially like lab grade, um, tinctures and essences to create, um, that flavor that gets mm. as close to Campari as possible. It's not, it's not, you know, very dissimilar to other brands coming out with red bitter, um, clones to, uh, compete with Campari in the market. Um, we just happen to do it, uh, by, you know, lo- lots of, lots of blending and tasting and trying to, um, use our palates, uh, to try and, uh, s- steer it to as close as we could, um, as a Campari substitute. Gotcha. Um, well, I think you did a really good job. Thank you. Um, yeah. So you, so you launched with the stirred drinks. 
That's the Negroni Manhattan Old Fashioned. And then when did you launch the next round of drinks? You know, as as Miles and, and Neil and Yoni wanted to come out with something that would be respected from not only, you know, consumers looking for those convenient classic cocktails, but also something that the trade would sort of, you know, recognize and, and be appreciative of, of receiving in a, in a can. Uh, that's why they launched with the Negroni and the Manhattan mm-hmm. Fashion. But the Shaken line, that launched in um, in just this past year in April. And that was um, born out of uh, the margarita, the bee's knees, and the daiquiri. And um, so the thinking there was to kind of establish the stirred line, get it going, and, um, you know, build some trust and some and some feedback loops with our consumers and our trade. Um, but all the while, Miles and Neil and Yoni in the background were developing, you know, iterations of uh, all kinds of uh, classic cocktails. But in, in April of uh, this past uh, year is when the Shaken line was launched. Gotcha. And and so that, those three, the, so the Shaken line is the Margarita, Bee's Knees, and the Daiquiri. Those all incorporate citrus. Um, which obviously makes the development process probably a little bit more challenging miles for you. What was that like? Um, you know, just back, we went back and forth for a while and I, I, you know, I always really pressed for, um, for using real juice and, you know, some, (laughs) some lines don't and some do. And, um, we were willing to do whatever to, uh, you know, the, the beauty of, of this project for me is that, is that both, uh, Yoni and Neil the whole time were assuring me that the most important thing was that it had to taste good over, right. you know, cutting costs or anything else. And the, the number one goal is that if, if, if we're going to do this, it has to taste good. And so um, I kind of was on the side that, well, in order to get this shaken line to taste good, we have to use juice in them. And, and so we tried... We tried some some uh, some versions quite a few times without with like using you know extracts and and citric acid and and mm-hmm. and it just never um, it, it it just never really worked and so we finally got to the point where we just uh, you know found um, a uh, supplier that has like you know fresh juice that's that's basically pasteurized. Um, in order to be able to make it work and have it be shelf stable in a can um, for up to a year on shelves. And so that's, that's where we ended. And so, um, you know, the, the development was took, took a while, just like it did on the first ones, but um, very happy with the end result. So do we have other drinks on the horizon? Yeah, absolutely. We're still, still dialing in um, some, uh, some more classics, um, some sort of, uh, some very well-known, some, um, mm-hmm. maybe not as well-known that are kind of, uh, maybe like considered cult classics in the, in the cocktail, um, world, but there's, there's definitely still development happening. Yeah. And you think about like what we've been able to achieve with the bee's knees, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a classic, right. And, um, it's really a, a flavor profile that's, that's super approachable, but, a lot of people, you know, outside of the cocktail world, it's it's not as prevalent as mm-hmm. margarita, old fashioned, yeah. Manhattan daiquiri, right? Uh, so we we've been able to kind of create a little bit of more market for a bee's knees, and you know, we we do have some of these cocktails are going to fall into that very familiar side of things, and then yeah, 
some of the others um, could be a, a bit surprising, but still kind of drawing from this well of classic cocktails with with a legacy. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's what's really fun about this brand is that each of these cocktails individually have their own legacy, their own associations, their own emotional triggers and memories associated with them. So um, it's really fun to be able to play within this sort of um, this world of classic cocktails and all the mythologies and things that come along. What I love about it is uh, how how exciting it is to educate new new consumers about it. And that's one of the great things about the RTD categories that there's so much, you know, discovery when it comes to the category itself. But with Bees Knees itself, there is a whole uh, wider audience that we're able to reach and educate through the, the tip top brand uh, because of some of the trust that Miles and, and Neil and Yoni have been able to build up on our old fashioned and, and some of our earlier stirred lines. So that's that's one of the great submissions of, of making the good things of life more accessible is educating people on great classic cocktails. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask. So, so you have um, like what the reception has been for, for these drinks, which, which are your most popular flavors? I mean, I imagine that if you get people kind of in the door with an old fashioned that maybe they're, like you said, more willing to try something that they've never heard of before in the bee's knees. Um, but yeah, which are your most popular flavors? So we were discussing this on the team. Basically, based off our, our, our feedback loop from our consumers with our online business and, and from the trade, um, our, our old fashions really are most popular. They came mm-hmm. out first and it's sort of, you know, been the definitive uh, tip top from day one. Uh, however, Margarita, which just launched this year, is, is very strong and, and really well mm-hmm. accepted. But I think, honestly, the bee's knees is the next in line as far as most popular when it, can, when it mm-hmm. comes to our online sales. So, I think there's just something special about that cocktail that's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, from, from a regional and a seasonal perspective, our Negroni um, is very well accepted in New York City and in, um, you know, the West Coast. So we have some pockets of, 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 of higher uh, consumption and sales. But interestingly enough, it's old-fashioned margarita and bee's knees uh, from our online uh, takeaways. Hmm. And one thing, you know, that kind of comes with that, we're doing a a lot of work to understand how this product works in the music venue space where we initially kind of had had its reason for being right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you think about the timeline we launched in fall 2019, we didn't have a lot of time to see how it could work in that space before that space was sort of on, on pause. So now as it comes back, we get a chance to really see it. And of course, old fashioned and margarita sell well because of the familiarity, but people are looking when they go out to have something new, something that maybe they don't have for themselves at home. And so they see the the offering and they see the bee's knees. They're like, oh, you know, I've heard of that, or maybe I've had that once, or hey, that, you know, just gin, lemon, and honey, that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give that a go. So from an education standpoint, I think it's really exciting to be that, that, starting point for people who are exploring the cocktail space. And of course, we want to be the brand that people who know and love these cocktails already Mm -hmm. um, turn to when they're not in a position to make them for themselves. Um, But but it's really exciting to kind of have that opportunity. Yeah. So, so Neil, you just kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, 
the pandemic kind of changing what your business was and and what it kind of you know adapted to be. So so what was business like over the course of the pandemic or obviously ongoing still, but you know what were some of the challenges? Uh, what was the growth like, if at all? Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, um, of course, uh, everybody's talking about supply chain. Mm-hmm. And that certainly, you know, presented challenges and still continues to present challenges for us. Um, We source our cans overseas. Um, You know, production at our co-packer is is challenging as far as staffing. Um, But we're we're really managing that and and getting to a a really good place where we're humming along with production. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as consumers... Uh, you know, we had about six months to start um, here in Georgia, right. and um, the main toolkit in the brand building world of a beverage is uh, events and sampling. And so that was taken away entirely, mm-hmm. um, or almost entirely. We did some fun, like, gorilla neighborhood kind of out on your porch <laughs> happy hour type stuff. Nice. And it just had had to be fluid and had to sort of improvise, which... Uh, helps that we came from the music festival business because there's always new curveballs in that space. Um, but I think, um, you know, some of the ways that it, it sort of bolstered, bolstered our business is that the press really understood that, you know, the ready to, to drink cocktail was already trending and that this would only um, really, continue, really accelerate that trend. Right. And so they were looking for the contenders to, to to talk about. And the ones that, for the people who were skeptical of the category, the discerning drinkers out there, you know, what's going to convince them that, have another look, there is something in this category for you. And time and time again, we saw that us as a little brand from Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and at the time only distributed in Atlanta, we were getting picked up nationally in New York Times, you know, Bon Appetit uh, and, and, and all those types of publications. So we really got some spotlight out of that. And then two other things is that um, consumers began to learn more about classic cocktails mm-hmm. because they were making them at home. Um, and so I, I think just the fact that we tap into that world um, kind of allowed us to come on that journey with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, people were also busy doing all the things that they hadn't had to do prior, like, uh, being with your children 24 (laughs) seven. And so when you finally did get a break, you didn't want to do the work, um, of, of making the cocktail, even if it was a simple three ingredients. So, um, you know, we've, we've weathered it, um, and we continue to, to kind of weather those challenges. Mm Hey, Neil, uh, what, talk a little bit about um, the journey with Garden and Gun, because I think that was something that was really something that 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 was interesting for us as a company and really propelled us forward. Yeah, so we had pitched Garden and Gun on uh, the product. It was around December 2019, and they were amidst the holidays. They said, you know, this seems compelling, but you'll have to come back to us. And uh, a couple of months later, we were visiting Charleston where their offices are because um, that's where our co-packing facility was at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were having breakfast and uh, Yoni pulled up his phone and noticed that the garden and gun office was right next door. <laughs> and so we kind of 
got a, got got bold and courageous and went and rang the doorbell um, <laughs> and rang it again and rang it again and no one answered. Um, and so we were about to give up because we were late for another meeting. Um, Yoni really, really doesn't like to be late because, <laughs> you know, that's that's the courteous thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I said, OK, let, let me just place a call. And, and we called the office. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the person who usually buzzes people in actually isn't here today. Uh, come on in. And so we dropped off the cocktails and they said, hold on. The, the editor sometimes likes to speak to. Uh, you know, people who come in with products. So let's see if he's available. And so he comes walking off out of his office. He says, gentlemen, your timing's impeccable. Um, we were just talking about you yesterday. Let me go get the writer who was saying that they wanted to pick up on you. And we sat down and they ended up penning an article for us. And, um, you know, he, he said, fortune favors the bold. You really, uh, truly at the right time. And, um, what transpired out of that was actually um, tying it back to, to Miles, um, a man named uh, Joseph Stinchcomb um, ended up being the judge for the best drink of the Garden and Gun Made in the South Award that year. Mm-hmm. And um, Miles had had an event for Brad Thomas Parsons book. Um, was it the Bitters book or was the last call book, I think, at, at Kimball House. And I had met up there. Yeah, the last call book. Yeah. And we had handed cans to Brad, who was on the book tour. And his next stop, sure enough, was Mississippi at Joe Stinchcomb's bar. Mm-hmm. And so he he brought a bunch of cans to him. And, uh, you know, he and, and when it was Joe's time to consider what was the best drink of 2020, he said, well, it's tip top because this was perfectly suited for the way we drink right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah, it all, it all kind of came together and just kind of goes to show that, uh, you know, that, that persistence and planting the seeds can come back around to, to do something really special because the, the made in the South accolade, um, that we received last year, November, 2020, um, was, was just massive for us. That's awesome. What a great, what a, what a great story. Um, and, and good on you guys for taking that initiative. So, so you mentioned now, you know, music festivals are on the horizon for, for tip top. Um, but I know you have some very cool business opportunities or business uh, partnerships currently. And, and I'm curious to know what comes next. Uh, I'd love to hear more about the Delta partnership though, because that's very exciting. Jay, do you want to speak to that? Sure. Yeah. So um, what's really, you know, kind of a, uh, a piggyback off of the, the comment that Joe stated about um, Tip Top being the perfect drink because that's what we need now is, is classic cocktails, contactless. Mm-hmm. Um, Delta Airlines, obviously, we all know um, the travel and air industry uh, took a massive hit over the yeah. pandemic. And, you know, for, for many different reasons, they, they went ahead and, and most of the airlines took beverage and, and service off the, off the plane. Mm-hmm. And Delta for years, Delta Airlines for years has has really been a champion for um, local business and for a diverse, um, you know, set of uh, businesses, and 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 really been excited about uh, bringing value to their to their customers. Not you know not unlike a lot of the other major airlines, but they have a special um, a special place in their heart for companies like Tip Top. And they, they they saw it as a as something that 
really would enhance their customer experience by adding classic cocktails uh, in flight. This is not news um, to, to be able to provide a, a cocktail experience up, up 30,000 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. However, um, the contact list and the operational ease was something that was absolutely paramount and essential. And then also to, to have two local, you know, three local guys, Miles, Neil, and Yoni, mm-hmm. who really embodied the culture of Atlanta, be the producers of this, of this brand uh, was really, I think, the icing for the cake. Um, the story goes is that Delta Airlines, you know, they love the old fashioned, but they, they thought they needed something a little bit more citrus based. And so when Neil and Miles and Yoni tasted the Delta Airline team on the margarita, from that point on, it was it was off to the races. And what was fascinating is that, you know, it was about Thanksgiving of last year when we were we got the word from the supply chain director Sam, who who really championed uh, this along with Justin and a lot of the other uh, key players over at Delta Airlines. And then we waited. We had to wait from a supply chain perspective. We knew we had the business. We had a verbal commitment from Delta, but we had no idea how much inventory they would need. They had no idea how much inventory they need because their things were off by, you know, a huge percent. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a forecasting nightmare. So we, we all sort of dance our way through the holidays with the Garden Gun Drink Award. And mm-hmm. we're just high on everything. We're excited. We're just like, let's go. Let's go. We can't believe we, we, we're going to be we're working with Delta Airlines in any capacity. Mm-hmm. Then on Ju- January the 6th, we finally get a forecast. And it's it's a good forecast, but... You know, it's it's we just didn't know what to think, but we were like, okay, let's go do this. But then we had to set up 15 markets as far as compliance, registration, and distribution, and that's my background. So mm-hmm. I knew whose job that was, and so yeah. I, I, I dialed everybody I, I knew from you know the last 15 years of being in spirits, and um, you know told the story, taught you know provided the forecast, and landed with the perfect, you know, folks that we, we do work with uh, to get this done. And by April the 1st, from having a forecast in January to launching the margarita globally on, you know, in the first flight out of Atlanta on Delta Airlines, that was the first margarita ever consumed by a consumer. Mm-hmm. That all happened within three months. And then around that time, once they did their validation, they, 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 they take brands and they taste it with the the, the flyers to get the feedback on what consumption might be. Then we get another email from their, the, their demand department saying, oh, by the way, here it is like March the 25th. We're about to go live in a week and a half. Um, we're going to need eight times the volume that we probably would need. Eight, eight times? Eight times, yeah. So they're, they're forecast uh, 8x. And then a month later, after being you know out there in the world, it then – doubled again. So from the original forecast we received in January to the end of April, we were dealing with an almost 18x um, forecast. And so talk about a supply chain uh, quagmire. So, (laughs) you know, in essence, um, I'll tell you one quick story from a supply chain side. Uh, We've got a fantastic um, head of supply chain, uh, Rachel Jordan. She's got 10 years experience um, with some blue chip companies and she is 
uh, very well experienced in procurement and, and logistics. And so she and uh, the team and Neil and Yoni and I basically said, we need to order a lot more cans. So mm-hmm. we went and started doing that. And just to give you guys a context, the, the cans that we ordered in April just arrived in September. So, so it's one of the most interesting challenges that we face you know, as an industry for RTDs and for supply chain is mm-hmm. that, you know, it's always that, how can you stay ahead of the demand? And honestly, what Neil alluded to earlier, we're still, we're still unsure of what our true demand is because we've been catching up on supply since the brand launched in 2019, which is a great problem to have. But I think we're kind of getting out of the woods here in the next six to 12 months. But um, the Delta Airlines business from a has really changed tip tops, you know, present and future, because not only do they love the founders, do they love the brand, do they love the product, but they also are seeing their customers post social and really appreciate having an old fashioned and a margarita, uh, right. you know, on their flights. So yeah, they're responding really well to it. Yeah. So there, there's huge amount of social impact for them. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really a win-win, and they've been they've been a tremendous partner. They've gone out of their way to um, yeah, tweet and, and post and and help support with um, you know awareness and giving us access to their flight attendants. So it's been it's been fantastic, and we couldn't have been happier and luckier to mm-hmm. partner up with Delta Airlines. So what's next for us? Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you ask if you ask Yoni, he he I think he had on his list a couple of years ago. Sometime in the near, you know, sometime in the future, I'd love to be with Delta Airlines. Well, that's already done. So now it's like, where do you go now? I guess you you try to get tip top served on um, Bezos's uh, Starship, I guess. <laughs> yes, that's that's it. Um, well, that's that's all very exciting. Um, yeah, I guess uh, the, I, I suppose the last question I have for for you all is, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the logo. Uh, we love to talk about the logo um, and, you know, the name. Absolutely. Well, as we said, it's it's all about classic and familiar and kind of comforts, right? Um, and so Tip Top has that sing-songy, alliterative feel. Um, you know, there's a lot of brands in history that have used the name Tip Top as well. Um, so it's kind of uh, an interesting way to play. None, none that have you know, really had like massive prominence, but it it does kind of, you can find tip top mechanics and tip top poultry and tip top yard services (laughs) and all of that. And it, it, you know, it all just speaks to the fact that you're kind of saying that you're of a certain quality and then you don't, then you don't have to say it again, but it's also tip top as a phrase is something that one of your grandparents might say when you ask them how they're doing in the morning. Um, and so, so that all, that all kind of fits with the fact that these are classic cocktails that while they've seen a resurgence in recent years and you got a 25 year olds drinking Negronis, you've also got, uh, you know, older generations and all the associations I was speaking about before, you know, uncle Phil always makes the Manhattans at Thanksgiving and all of that fun stuff. So, um, Tip Top really feels uh, comfortable in that world. And then the the giraffe um, that we have with the top hat and the monocle, <laughs> we were uh, exploring our brand identity with the designer, and um, he threw out a flamingo. 
Um, Bart Sasso, our designer, hugely talented, and we couldn't possibly be where we are today without the the kind of the sharp, uh, really clean and sort of, you know, vintage design that he's so good at. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it feels really familiar and classic, yet modern and updated, and it, it, he strikes a beautiful balance. So we went back to him, we said, look, it's not a flamingo, but the idea of having an animal mascot is served a lot of brands quite well. So if we were to stop, you know, what would be the appropriate animal? And of course, the tallest animal is the giraffe. So we were saying, okay, let's try out the giraffe. And it also fits where um, we are all about convenience and mm -hmm. quality. And the giraffe has the easiest access to the top. Um, and so that that's sort of a, a fun a fun way to kind of work it all in. Um, and it's just easy on the consumer. If you have a name that's easy to remember, tip top, and you have an icon that when you walk in the store, you said, uh, I can't remember the name, but it, it's the one with the giraffe on it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, all of that, I think, is is just uh, some of that magic that that allows a, a brand to really click with people. Mm hmm. Very smart. Um, well, we love it. And uh, we love what you guys are doing at Tip Top. And I'm so, so thrilled you were able to join me. And I finally got a chance to, to chat with you all. So Neil, Miles, Jay, thank you so much. Um, this is a great chat. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dude, they're awesome. I love them. Yeah, I mean, I think they make really interesting products. So the reason uh, they were a great guest for today is because they are the official cocktails for Delta. Mm -hmm. Delta's really big about, you know, uh, supporting hometown products and Tip Top is made in Atlanta. I think the one, the two, we actually don't have the two they have on, on the most planes. Mm -hmm. They usually have the, the margarita and the old fashioned. We're tasting the Negroni and the Manhattan. Um, I've never had the Manhattan before, so I'm really interested. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I can't, I mean, I think that these are amazing because like, Basically, what you were saying earlier, Zach, this solves that problem where, like, you mm -hmm. you can ensure a much higher quality mm -hmm. cocktail yeah. in the air than just oh crap, like what is their shitty tonic, you right? Know, and like, I would I would buy this. Yes, agreed. Mm -hmm. You will now fly Delta all the time. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So let's yeah, try well, these. Flying in Canada. So I'm gonna. Right. I guess we'll pour it into each, and then yeah. It says do not shake. It says do not shake. Yeah. This is very interesting. The cans are adorable, by the way. Oh, they're great. They're they did a great job. Okay, so it's like this is clearly what Jeffrey the um, Toys R Us giraffe grew up to be. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is what Jeffrey the Toys R Us? Giraffe. You guys know what I'm talking. Well, at least Adam knows what I'm talking about. I know the who mascot for Toys R Us is a giraffe, and the the tip top one has a much more elegant giraffe on it. Oh, I assume oh, you know the, Jeffrey, like yeah, Jeffrey, you know, it. grew up. Got into cocktails. Okay, are we going to try the Negroni first or the Manhattan? I think the Negroni. Also, I want to point out, right. the Manhattan is interestingly very dark in color. At least mine is. Mm -hmm. So um, we curious to see. Uh, we definitely, we tasted their um, their old fashioned for our canned cocktail roundup. And I, I was not part of the tasting, but I walked out while they actually happened to be tasting this one. And one of the things that two of our uh, writers said was that they do color really well. That like mm -hmm. their old fashioned was like very, very clearly had a good amount of Angostura in it and stuff. It didn't just look yeah. like whiskey. Mm. And I think like the, I mean, the Negroni has a nice color. Like it looks like a Negroni. Mm -hmm. It does. Really it doesn't sense. have quite the vivid, like sort of 
read that you I don't they presumably are not using Campari in this, so I don't think it has like yeah, whatever bitter they got. Yeah. Yeah, that vivid hue, but it's like it's it's definitely looks like a Negroni. And the other thing I wasn't even thinking about until you mentioned the sort of idea of the color is like, you know, it says on the can also to either enjoy straight from the can, which I did not do. I poured mine into a glass um, or enjoy over ice, which I also do not do. I just kind of poured the yeah, we didn't we, we didn't pour over ice either. But you I can see it how, especially with like something like the Manhattan, where you're getting some dilution from the ice, mm-hmm. you would want a little deeper color. So it still looks Manhattan-esque, even with some dilution, as opposed to, you know, looking too kind of thin and um you know like kind of like tan not not brown that's a good that's a good negroni mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's really herbal yeah it's a very like it has like a nut it it tastes like a, a very solid negroni out of a can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would drink this i would drink this if it if it was on delta mm-hmm. delta please stock the negronis at least when you fly out of new york mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good idea two are from new york yeah throw those on there that's I, like, no I this mean, is I a like very these... tasty very tasty Negroni. Yeah, wow. you can bring it to the park. It's great. Mm-hmm. All right, let's try the Manhattan. And to point out, to for those of you who don't have these in front of you, which presumably is all of you, uh, this is made with rye, not with bourbon. Mm-hmm. Joanna. Yeah, I I love this. I, I think really they good. do a really good job. Wow. The I think really my good. only qualm with it is, and maybe this is where drinking it from the can would be better, there's like a slightly, there's like an interesting aroma to it that I can't quite place. It smells like, kind of like, like wood shavings, which isn't like an inherently bad thing, but it's like a little. It's I got it's that on them, pronounced. Mm-hmm. but I wonder if that's because it's coming out of the can. Like, is yeah, that, that could is be that just like, the is that like just from the fact that it like comes out of the can and it's been like kind of just not allowed. I don't know. I don't want to say to breathe, but you know what I mean. Like when certain things come yeah. out of a can, and like like canned wine smells really fucking weird when it first jumps into. Oh, a you're right. Yes, for so, sure. I wonder if but maybe I, that's this too. But I feel like if you dress like dress these up or put it over. Oh yeah, you know. There's some garnish or some. Uh, They're great. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. I think the Negroni to me out of these two is more of a standout in part because I yeah. think if I'm thinking about a thing on an airplane, since that is sort of the theme of this, that's a, that's something that I would never be able to recreate. I feel like for not that I would be able to recreate a Manhattan either, but that like whiskey on an airplane, which is, you know, most of what's in a Manhattan, I can kind of do. But yeah, like you would never get something like a Negroni outside of this kind of context. And so that's really cool to be able to have a cocktail that I love and I think is well rendered mm-hmm. um, on a plane would be very cool. Yeah. Um, not, that the, not, not that the Manhattan's not good, um, but I don't think it's, I think it's sort of the reason why probably they stock the margarita too. Another drink that you just would like never be able to get on an airplane in any right. other format. True. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, this was awesome. Yes. Um, you know, thanks again, Joanna, for talking to the Tip Top crew. Yes, and, thank uh, you, Tip Top. And uh, I'll talk to you guys on Monday. Thanks. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing loves to get the credit also i would love to give a special shout out to my vine pair co-founder josh mallon for helping me make all this possible and also to keith beavers vine pair tasting director who is additionally a producer on this show i also want to of course thank every other member of the vine pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again